I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. In this episode, Bullying in Science. Throughout this series, we've looked at the threats to scientists and to science itself, threats to freedom and safety that can end careers and block avenues of research. As we've discussed, many such threats come from outside of science, external factors like war, an economic situation or political interference. But today, in our seventh episode of the series, we're taking a look at a problem that comes from within the research world, a problem whose severity can derail lives and yet can be found in labs the world over. Today, we're talking about bullying and harassment in academic research. Harassment and bullying can take many forms and no two experiences are the same. Earlier in this series, we spoke about the impacts that online harassment can have on researchers. And in that episode, we spoke with Chris Jackson, a geoscientist at the engineering company Jacobs in the UK. Chris also shared his thoughts on why, despite evidence of widespread harassment in the sciences, there's so little awareness of the problem. There seems to be this amazing bus between how common it is and the awareness of it. And I think that in itself explains why it's so common, bullying and harassment, is because I think some people are just ignorant to it. Either they don't know what bullying and harassment means, or by them not being subjected to it, they can't almost imagine it happens to other people. And I, I, I really think, you know, whether it's bullying and harassment, or it's racial discrimination, or it's anti-queer sentiments and discrimination, I... I think a, a lot of these things arise because people are in, unable to put themselves in somebody else's position and, and identify with the axes of that other person's personality, which might mean that discrimination is, is more likely to occur to them than it is to, to, to them themselves. So I, I do think just that awareness and continually talking about things and then showing a bunch of data which kind of explain numerically how, what the problem is and, and how it affects people. It's really, really important because sometimes it's just ignorance and sometimes it's just, you know, an unwillingness to believe that it happens. But we need to keep on banging the drum about these things. It can seem like a lot of institutions are taking more and more measures to actually fight bullying and harassment. 
Do you think this is actually taking place in institutions uh, you've been aware of, or is it more about paying lip service to the idea of taking action? I think there's some good people trying to do some good things is probably the first bit of my answer. And I think the second bit of my answer is there's some people who want to be seen to be doing the right thing and doing good things, and they want to be seen to be good. I can je- I can honestly say 20 years into my academic career, although I'm not, you know, I've kind of recently moved away from the centre of it, these things are being talked about more. We are we are talking more about bullying and harassment. You know, there are podcast series and op-eds about, about the importance of this, and we're trying to recognise the importance of good academic conduct and, and positive academic environments as an integral part of the academic process. And that wasn't happening 20 years ago. I think we have moved positively in that sense, which I think is good, now we still need to have the tenacity in the processes and the you know whether they're disciplinary or or supporting victims of abuse we need to have resources financial and otherwise being put into those things to make sure that we're not just talking about these things more we are actually seeing people having a better experience within academia or within science more generally um, as a function of these things we're trying to implement and that's all that matters, really. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter if you talk about things. All that matters is that people have a better time of it. That's where we want to get to. How we get there is kind of secondary in a way. Chris Jackson there. Some researchers have made it their mission to find a way to make the situation better and to uncover why so many individuals and institutions resist the changes needed to stamp out bullying and harassment in science. For example, nanomedicine and regenerative medicine researcher Morteza Mahmoudi, who's at Michigan State University. Besides his official academic research, Morteza is also the co-founder and director of the academic parity movement. Since 2019, the organisation has aimed to provide external resources for targets of academic bullying. We began our conversation discussing what inspired Morteza to found the movement. When I basically got my PhD back in 2009, I had to basically get training in different aspects of science, like in medicine. So I uh, started visiting different labs and get additional training. So no matter where I uh, basically work, I always basically saw people suffering from the issues of academic bullying and harassment. So I wrote a short piece to Nature about the issues of uh, reporting system in the field of academic bullying and harassment. And it was interesting that within two weeks after publication of this piece, the number of feedback that I've got was like hugely higher than all of the feedbacks that I've got for over 200 papers that I had in the field of nanomedicine and regenerative medicine. So I thought with myself that, um, okay, our uh, role as a scientist is to make the world a better place to live. So what is better than studying academic bullying? It seems that it's a real problem, but yet no one talks about it. So I basically started uh, studying academic bullying seriously uh, from that time. Now, when we talk about bullying and specifically academic bullying, How do we define those terms? In general term, academic bullying is a violation of human rights in an academic setting. 
but it has a wide range of actions. It starts from like uh, verbal abuse all the way to stealing intellectual properties or authorship credits. Advanced version, I would say, it's a false uh, allegation of academic misconduct in an attempt to basically remove star scientists from competition. What are the effects on academics who are being bullied, both in terms of their careers, but also in terms of their actual well-being? It has huge effects. It starts uh, from mental health issues in short term, like anxiety, stress. But in long term, it can also develop serious cardiovascular issues, PTSD and other uh, mental and even physical health issues. I always encourage people to also consider the fact that this is not the problem that only affect targets. It also affects like other people's. For example, if a target is in like a medical setting or in healthcare, academic bullying or other types of bullying and harassment can increase wrong decision making in, in medical procedures. So it even affects patients. Given all these incredibly negative effects on, on the person on the receiving end as well as the wider discipline. Why does this kind of behavior happen in the first place? So there are many reasons for that. I mean, the bullying happens actually when we have power differences. And unfortunately, in academia, we have a unique power difference structures. If you look at the universities, when an international student basically comes to a lab, many of the major decisions about their careers and also their residency in the lab uh, gets limited to one person, which is a PI. So people at higher level of power feel less accountable about their actions and behaviors. If like a bullying cases get kind of escalated at the lab level and the target basically complained to department chair or other authorities at the universities, the outcomes that at least we see from scandals that comes to the news are very disappointing and encourage basically perpetrators to, to do what they do and also encourage targets to use the code of silence. For example, in many cases of academic bullying that comes to the news, specifically like a couple of cases that basically we witnessed last year, the situation is that the perpetrator does bullying behavior for even a couple of decades. There were like hundreds of targets who a portion of them complained to the university and nothing happened. Basically, perpetrators got. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Protected for a variety of reasons. 
For example, one reason is that their interest is intertwined with the university's interest. They bring huge amount of money and funding to the university. Universities get overhead. So they basically um, sweep the case under the carpet. It sends a clear signal to perpetrators that they are protected. They can do whatever they want to do. And another negative signals to targets that it's better to use the code of silence. Given all of that, it might seem almost a bit helpless to someone who does find themselves on the receiving end of bullying. What actions can someone actually take if they are in this situation, being bullied by someone in the academic workplace, especially when that might be a superior, someone with power over them? So the first thing is that they should detect and identify academic bullying at the first place. The second part is to document everything. Academic bullies are clever. They barely leave trace of their actions. So every single chance that uh, basically a target can get to document, they need to document that. If someone is witness, they basically need to also collect their names, their ideas. The third uh, important thing is collective actions. So it would be great that they basically uh, find allies and look for others that are in the, in the same situation. So th- this helps a lot. The other thing is to inform themselves or basically educate themselves about the internal and external resources that are available to them to get help. For example, one of the trusted resources is ombud offices, getting consultation from uh, legal bodies. For example, they can consult with a lawyer about the situation, be aware of retaliation of any kind, which is unfortunately very common in the case of like academic bullying. Try to see what happened to other people at the same cases and have plan B in mind. Now, how is all of this limited when there are serious risks to the career of the academic when they would speak out for for example i'm speaking about maybe foreign students whose visa depends on them continuing their degree with their supervisor yeah that's unfortunately the sad reality the outcomes of our global survey which we have done in 2019, and we received over 2,000 response to that, revealed that one of the main reasons that uh, targets try to use code of silence instead of uh, speaking up is the fear of retaliation. Um, The examples, like I mentioned, that came to the um, news shows that when a person basically complained, they receive serious uh, direct or indirect mobbing, uh, which is basically ganging up against targets. But at the same time, um, the recent awareness about the issue of academic bullying basically forced other stakeholders to, to come in and take some actions. For example, funding agencies now have a direct line for targets to basically report any abuse they receive if their PIs are funded by that particular agency. Uh, 
One thing I always uh, emphasize for international students is to be proactive about the lab that they want to do the research. So if they try to reach out to the former lab members, they can get uh, useful feedback. So by being proactive, they can actually uh, evaluate the lab health prior joining a lab. That note of doing research before moving a lab is actually something we touched on in a previous series of this podcast when we were discussing moving labs. But a lot of what we've been talking about just now has been about what the the victim of bullying can do if they find themselves in that situation. What about third parties, people who perhaps witness this kind of behavior taking place? Yeah, so first of all, I would like to change the word of victim with target. It's important because victim has kind of a negative uh, feeling to the to the basically target. Anyway, a witness can basically do a lot of things. They can interfere with the situation to basically change the direction of the discussion. They can report what they witness at least to the trusted internal uh, resources, like to the ombudsperson. They can basically back up the claims of the targets if they decide to speak up. There's a kind of risk, but if they take the risk and want to report, they can have a great effect. As you've shared, a big part of why bullying and harassment are so commonplace is because there are all these structures in place which which effectively protect the bullier. What should institutions change in how they handle these kinds of cases? So institutions and universities by its own basically have limited intention to fairly consider the, the cases of academic bullying and harassment. What we basically advocating for is making a platform that all of the involved stakeholders can be responsible and responsible for, for those cases. For example, if funding agencies gets involved in the cases, and they basically ban universities that have higher rate of bullying cases from funding they provide, then universities are forced to take more fair actions about like those issues. The other thing is to better understand the long-term effects of academic bullying and harassment on institutions and also on science the long-term side effect is far beyond the target. It causes many talented scientists to leave academia. It can cause data fabrication because in many cases that we basically witness and reach to the reports, bullying was the initial force to targets to fabricate data. And the other important stakeholders that needs to be involved, I think, are taxpayers. All of the costs of the perpetrators are being covered by the university's lawyer, which are basically taxpayers' money and funding. The other thing I think is very important that needs to be carefully considered in the field of academic bullying and harassment is the accountability of the investigation, internal investigation committees. 
who basically made those decisions and what responsibilities they have over the decisions. What does it mean to you, purely on a personal level, to be able to carry out this work to try and address academic bullying and harassment? As a scientist and as a building block of the scientific community, we want to basically do something that matters. If the universities can't handle the bullying and harassment because um, it's very unfortunate, but again, it's a reality that if targets of academic bullying and harassment remains unhealed, there's a great risk that they would be a future bullies when they basically get to the power position. So honestly, I get paid like for my uh, works in nanomedicine and regenerative medicine, but I value the work I do voluntarily on like academic bullying and harassment because I see in real time that it helps uh, targets of academic bullying and it may help the field to kind of uh, move forward in uh, creating a platform that finally all of the stakeholders and decision makers and gatekeepers basically can feel responsible and responsible to finally put an end on this uh, age-old issue. Morteza Mahmoudi there. We mentioned in previous episodes that this series would be in seven parts, and this is indeed the seventh episode. But in producing the series, in particular this episode, we've realised there's just too much to say to fit it all in. And so we'll be returning to the topic of harassment and misconduct in science in an episode coming soon, where we'll look specifically at the devastation that sexual harassment and assault can have on researchers and on research. That episode should be out in a couple of weeks, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Adam Levy. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 